You've heard the, uh, the story about the kid who saw some coins in a vase, and uh, he wanted those coins. This is uh, 75 cents in this vase. Maybe you heard the story of the kid who saw the cookie in the jar. Maybe it wasn't coins, but either way, so he, he, he looks at that, and he reaches into the jar, and he grabs hold of the cookie or the coin, and then he tries to get his hand out. And he can't get his hand out. He can't get his hand out because he's holding on to the cookie or the coin. Uh, and because he's got the clenched fist, his hand becomes too big to get out of the jar. And he's trapped. Now, the simple thing to do would be to let go the cookie and then he could get his hand out. And then turn the jar over and get the cookie or the coin. Today, we're still looking at the idea of generosity. And uh, as we look at this idea of generosity, we're going to tackle one of the main obstacles to generosity, and that's selfishness. See, selfishness is a natural part of our life. From a young child wanting a cookie out of the cookie jar, desperate to have it, and in selfishness won't let go. Not realizing that because we don't let go of the things we want, we're losing everything. Selfishness may be a natural part of who we are. I think of if you have had children or seen children uh, go through a toy store, um, say two or three or five or 25 years old, uh, you watch them go through their own little toy store, a Toys R Us or one of those type things, and they're walking through and they're seeing all these different things that they want. I want this. I want that. That needs to be mine. They're not worried about the financial situation that their parents may be in. They're not worried about the mortgage coming due. They're not even concerned about, about putting food on the table. All they see is what they want. Give me mine. Unless we think it's a childhood thing, we also see this happen in places like the Apple store. I don't care. I don't care if it's costing me $750 to get a new gadget that I can talk on, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a, so that the camera's better or I can do more video on my phone. I can do video on my phone. I, I was talking to one of a, a pastor friend who uh, made a comment and said, stop posting uh, uh, time change Sunday on on social media, uh, your phone will update automatically. And I responded and I said, you know, I'm in a church where there are several generations of people, they don't use their iPhone to wake up to. They have what's called, it's old school, alarm clock. He was like, well, uh, yeah, you know. But uh, 
we go through and we see the things that we want and we put our hand in the jar and we're desperate for that thing, so much so that we can't move forward. We can't get our hand out of the jar. We're stuck, but we refuse to let go of the thing we want and it's ruining our life. It's definitely blocking our obedience to God. See, we've looked in Proverbs chapter 11, we learned that that generosity is a wise course of action. In Proverbs 11, verse 24 and 25, we saw that, 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 that it is a wise course of action to be generous. And last week, we looked in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, heard from Jesus himself, who said it's more blessed to give than to receive. But when we're selfish, we've got this taking mentality and grabbing and grasping mentality. And we want to hold on to what we want to hold on to. And we don't care Come what may, whether, whether everything goes to hell in a handbasket, it doesn't matter as long as I got my thing. It doesn't matter to what happens to anybody around me. It doesn't matter that people go to hell. It doesn't matter. All, all that matters is I put my hand on my thing and hold on to it. I just won't let go. And it's that selfishness that robs us of the blessing. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And could it be that because of our selfishness, we are living a less blessed life? And the answer is yes. The question that comes to us is how can we as followers of Jesus let go the coin and open our hands and receive the blessing from God so that we then can be generous to others. What needs to spark in our heart? What needs to change in us? You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, I I said a few moments ago that it's natural to be selfish, but if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to understand that God wired you differently, away from selfishness and toward sacrifice. If you're a follower of Jesus, it is now built into the new heart that God gave you through faith in Jesus. It is now built in you to be sacrificial rather than selfish. So how do we awaken this sacrificial generosity in our heart? How do we move from selfishness to sacrifice? When Hebrews chapter 13, the writer of Hebrews comes to the end of of his, uh, of his letter, and he's made a lot of different statements about Jesus, mainly that Jesus is sufficient for everything. And now, at the end of chapter 13, he's, he's writing to them, and he wants to summarize uh, the way they're supposed to live. He wants to give them some, some insight into how they're supposed to live their lives. So in, Pro, in, in Hebrews chapter 13, our text this morning, Hebrews chapter 13, look at verses 15 and 16. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 and 16. Now listen to the word of the Lord. Therefore, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. As you look at those verses, and I, just, just look up there on the screen. Look at these verses or in your copy of Scripture. 
Therefore, by Jesus, Jesus is the foundation for why we're supposed to be living our life. In fact, verse 8 of chapter 13, look at verse 8. Jesus is the same today, he's the same as he was yesterday, and he will be the same forever. Who Jesus is has not changed. And so, by Jesus, it simply means that what, he's, what, what the writer of Hebrews is telling us is, is consistent with the character of Jesus, and that's not going to change. The world may change around us, and we live in a rapidly changing world, but Jesus does not change. And by Jesus, this is how we're supposed to live. And what are we supposed to do? Well, for, before we talk about what we're supposed to do, let's look at the goal. The goal is the last phrase, for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You have in your DNA, and I have in my DNA, a desire to please God. If you're a parent, you know that when your child was born, something changed in your heart. Something something adjusted in you so that it was your desire to bring blessing to that child and to bring provision to that child and to bring pleasure to that child. As a follower of Jesus, God has given us a new heart that shakes aside selfishness and seeks God's pleasure. But it's awful hard, listen, it's awful hard to please God when you're all focused on pleasing yourself. Could could I humbly suggest that one of the reasons some of you are so miserable as Jesus followers is because you have somehow gotten in your mind that the most important thing is you? I'm not trying to be ugly, I'm just trying to be truthful. You're sitting there right now and you're thinking, well, what's in this for me? Well, really? And you're a follower of Jesus? I'm just telling you the DNA that God has planted in your heart is not for you to please yourself, but rather to please Him. And if you're focused on pleasing yourself... You can't focus on pleasing Him. Well, I can do both at the same time. No, you can't. It doesn't work like that in any of our relationships, much less our relationship with God. So the goal of our life is to please God. It's part of the DNA of who we are. And part of the DNA of who we are as followers of Jesus is uh, not to be selfish, but to be sacrificial, to be generous. So how do we get there? So he gives these two sacrifices. The first one is let us offer the sacrifice of Praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, the, uh, giving thanks to his name. What he's saying is we need to give praise to God so that the result is the second sacrifice, and that is to do good and to share. Do good means that we look for what's going on in somebody else's life, and we find ways to help them. That's do good. Share means, it's the uh, Greek term koinonia, it means that we, uh, we treat people like family and we share from our resources what they have. And that's what we do when we give our tithes and our offerings. It's the koinonia offering. It's, it's where we uh, join together our resources to accomplish what none of us could do all by ourselves. And we, and we give uh, our resources. And when we give, we make disciples. When we give, uh, we expand our kingdom capacity, our kingdom reach. Um, we, we help the hurting people, we, we uh, gather for worship, we invest in the next generation, and we live the mission globally. And that's what happens when you give your 75 cents uh, or whatever it is uh, through the offering of this church. And that's why God commands us to give. But, but what, 
what, the, what verse 15 is talking about is saying, for us to get to the do good and share, we've got to praise God. See, I think one of the reasons we're selfish is because we're failing to praise God the way Scripture commands. You might say, well, I sang songs today. Isn't that praising God? No, not necessarily. Praising God is not about singing a song. Praising God is about adoring the one who has given you life, hope, purpose, and meaning. It's about setting your focus on Him. Uh, this past week, I was in Lima, Peru with, uh, and, and doing some work there, and we were meeting with churches in and, 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 and different uh, places. And, and, and when we went there, I mean, uh, I'm there, and I, I, I'm telling, I, can, I can order uh, coffee in Spanish, and I can get to the bathroom in Spanish, and I can tell you hello in Spanish, and I can tell you goodbye in Spanish, and I can do a few other things, but I'm not fluent in Spanish by any stretch of the imagination. They knew that about me. The pastor knew that I did not know Spanish. And I was a guest in that church. You know what they did? They sang all the songs in Spanish. How dare they? They had screens. They put songs up on a screen. The songs that they were singing, they put them up on a screen. You know what? They were in Spanish too. I didn't appreciate that. How dare they not consider me in that church? Do they not know who I am? Why didn't they change the music to fit what I wanted? Of course, you wouldn't do that in a Spanish church. You realize that worship and praise cannot coexist with selfishness. You cannot worship and praise God and at the same time be self-centered. It doesn't work. In order to worship and praise God, you've got to let go and then let God pour out his blessings. While I was there in, in Lima, I, I sang the songs. I did. I don't know if I got any of the words right, and I only, only understood a few of them. Uh, El Señor got that. They're talking about God. I knew that. There were some other song, uh, words that I could pick up, but do you know I was praising the Lord? Didn't understand what they were saying, but boy, I was praising the Lord. I, I understood that they were praising the Lord. It was a wonderful, wonderful journey of praise. You want to know why? It's because my, my focus wasn't on what I'm getting out of it. My focus is what I'm giving to God in the midst of it. What about you? See, if we're going to move from selfishness to sacrifice and generosity, we must praise the Lord. And that's what, that's what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get the, the, his readers to do. He say, okay, here's what you need to do. You need to praise God. If you want to have the core component of generosity in your life, of doing good and sharing, then you need to practice praising God. Not singing songs that you like, but praising God even when you don't even understand the songs that are being sung? Are you praising God? You can't do it and be selfish at the same time. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to look at how we can praise God from this passage. The first thing we see is we need to praise God who is our helper. We need to praise God who is our helper. All the while, we've got our, our hands clutching around the things that we want. I've got one more quarter I've got to get hold of. We want to hold on to our stuff. We want what we want. That's selfishness. In verses 5 and 6 of chapter 13, it's called covetousness. Look, look there in, in uh, verses 5 and 6. Writer of Hebrews says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Conduct, your way of life. Be without covetousness. And in the language of the text, covet uh, means to be greedy for money. The 75 cents I got in my hand. But at core in the Greek language, it's more than just greedy for money. It is selfish. Focused only on yourself. I want mine, I want my stuff, and and we forget that it's not all about me. When when it comes to moving from selfishness to sacrifice and generosity to, to living an authentic life as a follower of Jesus, we need to let our way of life, our conduct, be without selfishness, be without greed, be without hands clenching and clutching what we want. He goes on, he says, now be content with what you have. There in 13, verse 5, be content with what you have. The term for content means satisfied. The picture there is that you've got an option. You can either live selfishly or you can live satisfied. But you can't be selfish and be satisfied at the same time. And this is a key ingredient of wisdom that we need to take home with us. You see, we're living our lives as though clutching my coin or my cookie is going to satisfy me. But what uh, uh, Hebrews 13 verse 5 says is that if you're covetous, you're not going to be content. If you're selfish, you're not going to be satisfied. There is no way that those two things can coexist. So if we're going to move from selfish to satisfied, if we're going to move from covetous to content, what do we need to do? We need to praise God who is our helper. Look at how he goes on. Verse 5, he says, he says, be content with such things as you have, for God himself says, has said, is continuing to say to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The, the way we move from selfishness to sacrifice, from covetousness to, to, to contentment, is when we understand that because of Jesus, we are living in fellowship with the living God, and his promise to us is that he will never, ever leave me. I don't need to hold on to my stuff. I can let it go, and I can trust in him to provide for me because he's the one who will never, ever leave me or forsake me. You're not alone on this journey. You are not doing this stuff all by yourself. God is your helper. As, as I read in Psalm 118 earlier, that's what the, psalm, uh, the writer of Hebrews quotes here. He's quoting Psalm 118. He says, the Lord is my helper. In Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, in, in Psalm 118, it is, the Lord is near me. The Lord is for me. The Lord is with me. The Lord is my helper. 
Because of Jesus, he is our helper. He is here to get intimately and actively involved in your everyday life. You don't have to clutch and cling to the things that you want to hold on to. You need to let it go and let God take care of you. Praise God. We need to praise him for he helps us. If you're going to be satisfied in this life and if you're going to move forward as a follower of Jesus and grow out of selfishness, toward generosity, then you need to praise God. You need to set your focus on him, and then he will direct your focus toward others. But what's missing is your focus on yourself, and that's a good thing. Now, let me tell you something. If you're here right now and you're struggling You're even fighting in your inner person. Your mind is thinking, I don't care what he says. That's not true. I need to take care of me if I'm going to take care of others. I need to take care of me. No. You might believe that, but I'm telling you, that is not biblical. Biblical is this. The Lord is my helper. I set my gaze on him. He will take care of me. He will provide for me. He will give me the bread that I need when I'm hungry. He will give me the water to drink when I thirst. He will take care of me. He will clothe me even better than the lilies in the field and, 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 and the birds in the air. He's going to feed me and he's going to clothe me. God will take care of me. He is my helper. Whom shall I fear? What can anyone do to me? The Lord is with me. He's on my side. Now, here's the thing. You want to be satisfied? Then you need to let go. And you need to trust the Lord to pour out his blessings on you. Rather than trying to hold on to your stuff. So, we praise God for he is our helper. The second thing we do is we need to praise God uh, for the grace that strengthens us. Now, grace is a beautiful picture of, uh, of us not getting what we want or deserve. Uh, not getting what we deserve, but God giving us what we need. Grace is a beautiful picture of how that God, who uh, has this steadfast love for us, has determined to provide Uh, salvation for us, even though we deserve nothing but judgment. Grace is the message of salvation. It is the message of God's good work of sending Jesus to die for us on a cross to pay the price for our sin, to, uh, to, 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 to shatter the chain of our sin and the shame and the guilt and the pain uh, of our sin, to, to give us a life that is filled with fullness and, and the presence of God. It is, it, is, it is a picture of what God in his love has done for us, not what we've done for ourselves. See, if you're here today and you think that your salvation has anything to do with how good you are or what you've done or how religious you've been, if that's what you think, then you're not saved. For by grace you have been saved through faith. That, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Grace means that God gives us The riches of fellowship and friendship with himself, not because we've earned it, but in spite of the fact that we don't deserve it. You're not not going to heaven because you're a Baptist. You're not going to heaven because you're sitting in this 
place. You're not going to heaven because, because of, of, of your upbringing or because you're born in Virginia or, or in the United States of America or wherever. That, that's not why you're going to heaven if you're going to heaven at all. If you're going to heaven at all, it's because of God's grace who sent Jesus to die for you. So, so look at verse 9 of chapter 13. Verse 9, uh, the writer of Hebrews writes, he says, Don't be carried about by various and strange doctrines. It is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited them uh, uh, who have been occupied with them. So, so what he's saying there, he's tackling a, an issue. There were people who were grasping hold of religious uh, doctrines and teachings. They were, they were holding on to them because it was, I'm going to be strong if I will just follow a pattern of activity. I'll eat the right foods and I'll do the right things. And, and if I do all that, then I'm going to be strong. But what that did, it, it, put, it put the strength in my hands. It, it made it dependent upon me. And, and just to be honest, we're all a little bit of a control freak. We all like to be in control. And, and, and because of that, we like the idea, if I do enough good stuff, man, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be strong. But what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 9, he says, oh, no, what strengthens your heart, what gives you the ability to be courageous and strong is not eating certain foods or following a certain pattern or, 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 or doing a certain thing in a church. What gives you the strength you need is the very grace of God. It is rehearsing again and again and again that God in his love sent Jesus to die for you on a cross, not because you were religious or deserved it, but because of his great love with which he loved us. We deserve nothing but hell. And God in his mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he's made us alive to Together in Christ Jesus, by grace, you have been saved. Today, we celebrate the God who has given us the grace we need, not only to get to heaven, but the grace we need to stand firm in this life today. So when the whirlwind of chaos and difficulty and despair starts swirling around us in this dark and hellish world, we look to God's grace and we say, there's the power I need. For I cried out to God in my distress and he set my feet on a firm footing and I will not falter or fall. Why? Because of God's grace. We praise God because of his grace to us. The third thing we do is we praise God because of the forgiveness that he gives us through Jesus. We praise God for our forgiveness through Jesus. Forgiveness like grace is not something you get because you've done some stuff to get it. Forgiveness is not something that you've earned because you've mastered a religious technique. Forgiveness is not something that, that you garner because you said a, a certain set of words together at one time. Forgiveness is not something because you made amends. Forgiveness that the Bible teaches is a free gift to us that cost Jesus his life. Look at verses 10, 11, and 12. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. So he's talking about the Jewish people again. And he's saying, now there are Jewish people and, and these priests, they, they think that they can eat at the tabernacle table. And, and, and yet here the writer of Hebrews says, but, but we who are followers of Jesus, we have a different altar. 
And Levitical priests, they don't have a right to eat there. The, the, the altar that we have as followers of Jesus is the cross of Jesus Christ upon which Jesus died and shed his blood for our sin. It is the, it is the horror and the beauty of the cross. Jesus hung there so that we might feast on his forgiveness. He died in our place. Verse 11, he says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. He's saying, okay, here's, here's what, what Jesus has done. He is the perfect sacrifice. He, he doesn't need to be sacrificed over and over and over and over again like the Old Testament system demanded. He shed his blood once and for all for the forgiveness of sinners like you and me. It is the glorious grace that God has to provide forgiveness for sinners who do not deserve it by sending his own son to die in our place on a cross. God has forgiven me, not because I'm a religious person or the son of a religious person. God has forgiven me because of his grace, and he's forgiven me by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. If it weren't for the blood of Jesus, I would be nothing. I would be lost and empty, living in this world without God and without hope. I would be a zero without the blood of Jesus Christ. I might be a moral man, but I would be lost in my sin. I might be a religious man, but I would be headed for hell. I'm telling you, without the blood of Jesus, we have nothing. So let's praise God for the forgiveness he's given us through Jesus Christ. We praise God for he is our helper. We praise God for the grace that strengthens us. We praise God that the, for the forgiveness that we have through Jesus. And finally, we praise God for the heaven that Jesus prepares for us. You realize that this is not our home. So stop clutching on these earthly things as if this is all that mattered. You see, we are in trouble in this life as followers of Jesus when we value our bank account more than we value our obedience to God. We're in trouble as the church when we value our bank account more than we value our obedience to God. And the reason we get caught in that conundrum of disobedience is because we have valued the things of this earth more than we value the heaven to which we're going. Friends, do you know that you're going to heaven? Do you realize that God has provided for us an enduring city, verse 14, a place not of this world. He has provided that glorious, heavenly, majestic place where he is at home and we will be at home with him. He has provided heaven for us. He's prepared it through Jesus Christ. Yes, the golden streets. Yes, the pearly gates. Yes, the crystal sea. And God is right at the center and he calls us to himself and he will satisfy with his, us with his presence and he will fill us with his joy. And that is where we're headed. That is where we're going. That's what Jesus has prepared for us. It is heaven. Heaven! If you can't get excited and praise God for heaven, then you're too earthbound in your thinking. It's time for us to look up and see what God has done for us. Jesus said, I prepared a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place, I'll receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Heaven! It is a place of many dwellings. It is a place uniquely provided for me. It is a place where Jesus has taken meticulous care to present 
a, a present and a gift of, of joy and hope and comfort to me today in this world that I have a heaven as my home. Today, let's look forward to where God has, has prepared for us. It is this wondrous place called heaven. It is heaven that gives us hope beyond the despair of this hellish world. It is heaven that gives us comfort in the face of distracting and damaging circumstances. It is heaven that sets before us a glorious goal of joy and peace and mercy that will be for all eternity. It is heaven that should capture our minds and our imaginations as we live on this earth. And it is this heaven that gives us the spark we need to let go of our selfishness. It is this view of heaven that helps us understand that this, this, that's not all there is. In fact, it's a very small thing. What's all there is, is the heaven that God has prepared for us. Today, let's praise God for the heaven that Jesus has prepared. Let's praise Him that we are not stuck here in this hellish world and and that's the end. But because of Jesus Christ and our trust and faith in Him, we have a different perspective. So stop living like you're all that matters and the stuff you have in your hand is all that matters. Stop it. That's why you're dissatisfied. That's why you live a weak life. That's why you're miserable in church. It's because you're selfish. Let go. Stop it. You see, when it's all said and done, we are to continually offer praise to God by Jesus Christ. That is, giving the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to Him. And when we praise God in that way, it sets our focus upward on God. And then God re redirects our focus outward toward others. So that we look this way after we look that way. But we don't look here. If you're struggling with selfishness today, I understand why you're not being generous. If you're struggling with selfishness today, I understand why you're dissatisfied. Dissatisfied at your work, dissatisfied in your home and your relationships, and dissatisfied at this church. Selfishness is not a small thing. It is sister to pride, and pride goes before everyone's fall. So we need to let go our selfishness. And we need to cry out in praise to God and allow Him to satisfy us. And when we're satisfied by Him, we become a blessing of generosity toward others. After all, as I shared at the very beginning, Generosity is a DNA of who you are as a follower of Jesus. You realize that? Praising God, good night. 
That's the DNA of who you are as a follower of Jesus. If we're going to be authentic in this life, then we need to praise God from an unselfish heart. And we need to be generous to those we encounter. For it is in these sacrifices that God is well pleased. My prayer for us today is that we would repent our pride, our sin, and our selfishness. And that we would praise God. That we would take these next few moments just to praise the Lord. And as we praise Him, that God would then equip our hearts to be authentic as we live in this world. That others may see through our praise of God and our generosity, they might see Jesus in us. So right now, would you just bow your heads? This altar will be a place for you to come if you desire to praise God here at the altar. I I encourage you to do that. In these next few moments, I just want to give you an opportunity to praise the Lord. So, Father, even now, bend our heart to yourself. Even now, will you take any point of self-centeredness in my life and would you destroy it and crush it so that I might praise you with my whole heart. God, help for me to let go of self-centeredness and take hold of satisfaction as I cry out to you and as I praise you, my helper. Help for me to praise you for the grace that makes me strong, not the, not the strength I have in myself, but the strength that only you can give me through your grace. Help for me to praise you and remind myself of the forgiveness that you've given through Jesus so that your sacrifice might, might inspire my lifestyle of sacrifice and generosity. God, help for me to praise you for the heaven that Jesus has prepared. And, and as I set my gaze upon heaven, help for me to live my life authentically on this earth, faithfully praising you and doing good and sharing with others. God, do this work in our hearts in this church today. Help for us not to sit and act like we don't need this. God, all of us need this correction in our life. So, Father, help for us to praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.